Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Sometime later, Rod tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the shoreline, seashore, sorry. Your descendants will take possession of the, of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all. Shall we pray together as we come to God's word? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. And I pray that as we come to you now, you would help us to hear what it is that you have to say to us through your word this morning. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Richard. I'm the curate down the road at Holy Trinity Borlane, and I'm also on the team here at St. George's. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be with you and to speak to you this morning as we begin our new series on the theme of Mountains, Hope in God's Presence. I feel like um, I probably need to name the fact um, that when I chose the reading we've just heard, I hadn't twigged that it was a Thanksgiving um, at the same time. But, <laughs> so um, just to name that, um, we're all for the Thanksgiving of little ones and we'll explore this passage and see what it really means together this morning. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of mountains. I imagine there's a range of responses in the room. 
For some of us, thinking of mountains will conjure up images of cold, wet climbs to the top of a mountain, only to be met by clouds, fog, and not much else other than a desire to get back down to the bottom as quick as we can. For others, we may love the idea of enduring the inclines and braving the elements in order to achieve the goal of getting to the top and enjoying the view. My wife, Jasmine, she loves mountains because they speak to her of the greatness of God and how small she is in comparison to just how majestic and powerful God is. For others, um, some of you may recognize these pictures. These are a few pictures that were taken and sent to me from the St. George's walking group. Can you give me a wave if you're in that group, if you attend with some kind of regularity? Great to see you this morning. Um, Hopefully you'll see from those pictures, particularly the one on the left, that something communal, communal, done with other people about mountains and our experience of them. There's an experience of traveling together. There's a range of responses to mountains. Some of those are more personal. Um, It turns out that along with being full of information about everything else, uh, the internet is also full to the brim with quotes about mountains. Listen to some of these, see if you can relate to them. So this first one, which should appear um, on the screen, um, apparently by an old school mountaineer called Sir Martin Conway, he says that each fresh peak teaches something. Another one by a man, uh, David McCulloch Jr. said, climb the mountain not to plant your flag, but to embrace the challenge. Enjoy the air and behold the view. Climb it so that you can see the world, not so the world can see you. One final one, this one by a Canadian novelist by the name of Laurie Lanson says this, the climb speaks to our character, but the view, I think, to our souls. Now, regardless of what you think about any of those individual quotes, all of them speak to the idea that mountains communicate something more to us than just nice views. They tell us things about ourselves and the world around us. They speak to us with a sense of clarity and, in, and simplicity that is hard to find anywhere else. This is true in the world around us, and I think it's also true in Scripture. Now, Scripture, the Bible, mentions mountains a lot within its pages. It's mentioned 560 times in the Hebrew and 644 times in the Greek. Now, You'll be very pleased to hear that neither in this sermon or in this series are we going to explore every single one of those uses. Most of the times mountains are mentioned in scripture, they're not the most important thing that's going on in the story. But every so often, a particular mountain is named for a particular reason and it has particular significance. They give us clarity as to who God is and how we should live in light of that. Now, in this series, we can't, we're not going to be scaling every single significant mountain in Scripture. But we are going to ascend a few and see what we find out about God, ourselves, and the world around us whilst we're up there. And this week, we begin with the passage we've just heard from Genesis 22 and Mount Moriah. 
And as we do so, I want, to think, I want us to think about it in two movements. So firstly, we'll think about the God that tests, and then we'll think about the God that provides. So God that tests, God that provides. So firstly, the God that tests. Now, as we begin engaging directly with this story, it's really important to acknowledge, at least from my perspective, that this can be a tricky text to handle. Let's not make any mistake about that. This is a story of God testing Abraham. It says that in verse 1. However, this is no ordinary test. This test involves God asking Abraham to take his only son Isaac to the top of a mountain and sacrifice him there, a mountain in the region of Moriah. Now on its own, that's striking. It's made even more striking when you think that earlier on in Genesis, God called Abraham and made a promise to him that he would be made into a great nation and have more descendants than he could possibly ever hope to count. To make it even more striking still, Abraham was a man who was childless when he was 99 years old. And yet despite this, God enabled him to have a child by his wife, Sarah, and this child was Isaac. Isaac was the proof of the promises that God had already made to Abraham. And now, here is God asking Abraham to sacrifice the very thing that he had promised to him. Now, before we move on, just take a moment to think about that. It's okay if you found that tough to take. That's part of the passage. What would you do if you were in Abraham's position? How would you feel? What would your response be? Well, I don't know what your response would be if you were in Abraham's position. I think if it were me, I'd turn around and run a million miles in the other direction. But we're not left to guess what Abraham did. We're told that rather than running or refusing, he complied and he said about what God asked him to do. We're told in verse 3 that he loaded up his donkey, got some firewood and set about his task. And it's not until verse 7 that Isaac plucks up the courage to ask the really obvious question. He turns to his father and asks, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now we'll get to Abraham's response in a moment, but let's just pause here for a moment. And think about how we're to respond to the idea that God would ask this of Abraham in the first place. Now I think for many of us we'd feel a sense of shock or disorientation at the fact that God would ask Abraham to do something like this. Especially given all the promises that God has made to Abraham before this event. It's important to pay attention to those responses. Quite often the Bible says things that can be hard to understand or to get our heads around. If that's your experience of scripture, I think that's an indication that you're doing it right rather than wrong. However, I think the fact that Abraham and God have a relational history actually enables us to understand the story more. The fact is, when we're asked to do something in life, the person who asks us to do the thing makes a difference. If we're asked for something small, like the time, Hopefully we'd give that to anyone who asked us. I hope we wouldn't refuse people the time if they asked us. 
But if we're asked for something bigger, the person who's asking us starts to become more important. For example, if someone asked us to lend them a large sum of money, I imagine our response would be different depending on who asked us. If we'd never met the person before, we'd probably say no. Equally, if we knew the person, but we knew that they were untrustworthy from previous experience, we probably wouldn't lend them the money. However, if the person who was asking us was our closest friend, and we had history and experience of them being able to be trusted and to be good on their word, we might be more likely to do as they ask. And I think this is the kind of dynamic that's playing out in this story. God and Abraham have got history. God has promised outlandish things to Abraham before, things that in our rational brains we wouldn't ever think would come true. They seemed impossible, and yet God came through for him, not least with the provision of Isaac. Abraham has seen God at work in his life previously, which means that when presented with something that seems like a crazy demand, he's able to recall the fact that God has been faithful before. And so he can trust that he'll be faithful again. The person who is asking makes a difference. And when it comes to God, we can be sure that he's faithful, that his word is true, and that he's good. Now I hope... I hope that that explanation brings a bit of clarity and maybe helps us to understand the story a little bit more. But I realise that it doesn't just make all our questions disappear completely. Theologian Walter Brueggemann says, this text leads us to face the reality that God is God. This is tough uh, for us to take hold of sometimes. For many of us, myself included, we like control, we like order, we like pattern, we like predictability. We want to be able to explain how and why things are the way they are. But the truth is, quite often we have far less control than we think. And this can be true when it comes to God. Sometimes we just have to trust that God is God. And even if we don't get it, we have to acknowledge that his ways are better than ours. We're told in verse 1 that this situation was set up as a test for Abraham. God wanted to see how far Abraham's faith in him went. He wanted to see if Abraham's faith was something that was confined to the past or if it was something that was still alive and active in the present. He wanted to know that he wanted to know of Abraham's faith in him and he wants to know of ours today too. So before we move on to the God that provides, it presents us with a difficult question of are there those of us here today who would say that we follow Jesus who believe in God are there things where we would say yeah God I love you but you can't have this God I love you but you can't have that if that's you you're not the only one I would answer yeah that's me for what it's worth but I do think it's something we can pray about and pray to God about So if you can feel God putting his finger on something in your life that you've grown to love more than him, if you've made a good thing an ultimate thing, do come and get prayer a little bit later on as we pray about asking God to make him the ultimate thing in our lives again. 
So that's the God that tests. It's a difficult part of the story. It's only one part of the story. We've heard about the God who tests. Now we turn to think about the God who provides. Now I don't know how you um, feel about reading, whether you enjoy it or not. I'm a bit of a bookworm. I recently um, read a 600 page long book called Biblical Critical Theory. It's about as fun as it sounds. Uh, by a guy called Christopher Watkin. And he makes the point that for the original hearers of this story, so we're hearing it now in a particular time, in a particular place. For the original hearers of this story, the fact that God required Abraham from Isaac wasn't actually a shock at all. In ancient religion, gods would require that from their followers all the time. It was common enough that in Old Testament law, it's actually forbidden to sacrifice your child because it was common. We see in the Old Testament, um, it it speaks about um, Molech, who was the god of the Ammonites, who did that very thing. Other religions worked on the basis that if I give up something important to me in sacrifice, the god will repay me by giving me something else I want. Payment leads to reward. It was that kind of interaction. I scratch my, you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of deal. Now this dynamic was well known and thought of as common in the ancient world. I also think it's pretty common in, in some parts of our life today. But if that wasn't the shocking bit, if God requiring Isaac from Abraham wasn't the shocking bit, it raises the question of what would have been the surprise? What would have been the twist in the story for those who heard it told in the ancient world? That surprise comes in verse 8 of our reading. In response to Isaac's question of where the lamb for the sin offering is, Abraham replies by saying, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering. That's the twist. That's the thing that the ancient hearers of this story weren't expecting. The fact that a God would require such a big thing from you wasn't a surprise. The fact that there's a God that would provide the sacrifice was. And yet we see in the story that that's exactly what God does. In verse 13, Abraham sees a nearby ram caught in the bushes and sacrifices that instead. We know with the benefit of hindsight that that Isaac was always going to be fine. Either, because Abraham would have refused... And he'd have said no. Or because God would provide the sacrifice. Based on their history, Abraham trusted that God would come through as he's known him to do before and would provide what was needed exactly when he needed it. This drastically transforms how we understand the test that put God before Abraham. It wasn't a test of performance. It wasn't God asking Abraham how good he is. It was a test of trust. It was God asking Abraham how good he thinks he is. Christopher Watkin explains it like this. The message to Abraham is that his relationship with God will not be sustained by what he is able to offer God. The relationship will be sustained by what God graciously provides. Abraham's response to God was born out of what he'd already seen God do. He had enough of a past with God to know that he would come through no matter how tense 
and last-minute things got. He could rely on the previous activity of God as a means of trusting God in this situation, in the knowledge that this God is one that provides what's needed and is interested not in our performance but in our trust. That was true for Abraham then and it can also be true for us today. You see, we might not have the biography of Abraham We might not have the miraculous personal stories of God providing in the ways that God did for Abraham. However, one thing we do have in common with Abraham is a God who provides a sacrificial lamb for us just like he did for Abraham. In the person of Jesus, God sent his only son to die on the cross for you and for me. As he did so, he saved us. And open the way for us to have a relationship with our Father in heaven like we were always meant to have. And he did this not because of how good we are, because we proved ourselves. He did this because of how good he is. The same trustworthy and faithful God who provided all that was needed to enable Abraham to continue living in the promises of God. is the same God who sent his son to die and rise so that we might be able to share in his victory and live eternally in relationship with him by the power of his spirit. This element of the Abraham story is beautifully reflected in Jesus. But it's not the only element of the story that's reflected in Jesus. See, prior to his death and his resurrection, Jesus walked this earth as a teacher calling people to follow him. In the process of doing so, he would call them to to take up their cross and follow him. The way of the cross that Jesus took is the same way that he calls us to take. Not to earn his love, but in response to it. He calls us to follow him whether it's easy or whether it's hard. He calls us to submit to his word and his will for our lives rather than our own. He calls us to the ways of the kingdom of God rather than to the ways of earthly kingdoms. Ultimately, he calls us to lay down our lives and submit them to him. Again, this isn't to earn his love, but in response to it. In Abraham, we have a great example of someone who knew who God was and that he was faithful and good. He'd seen it in his life. And as a result, he was able to trust God as he asked him to do the hardest thing imaginable. Through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, we're presented with the same invitation to follow Jesus in response to all that he's first done for us. So, as we descend the mountain and return to level ground, Let's just reflect on a few of the things we've learned whilst we've been up at the top. We've learned that God is a God who tests sometimes. However, he's not testing our performance, but our trust. We've also learned that he's a God who provides what's needed as we seek to follow him. In Jesus, the invitation made to Abraham is one that's made to us all. So as I close, let me ask you, which element of today's talk has particularly impacted you? 
Maybe there's a challenge for you today on the extent to which you're trusting God with a particular element of your life. Are you loving the things he's given you more than the giver himself? Alternatively, maybe you need to hear and you need to know today that God is the one who tests our performance to see whether we're up to it. Maybe you need to hear today that God goes first and shows his love for you in amazing and extraordinary ways. In the same way that God promised descendants to Abraham before he did anything and in the same way that God said he was well pleased with Jesus before he did any miracle. So God says of you that he loves you before you lift a finger. We live for God in response to his love, not to earn it. So which side of the coin do you need to hear today? Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.